And, I, and, and you know, as, as, we were, as we were worshiping, I was thinking about this. This is not my notes, but I feel like this, this is what the Lord wants me to ask you tonight. Whose reputation are you concerned with? Because if you're concerned with your reputation and how you look, you're going to be a flesh-driven man. But if you're, consider, if you're concerned with the Lord's reputation and how the Lord works, how the Lord looks, you will be a spirit-driven man. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6 tonight. As we go through this, I want you to think about that. Of Whose reputation are you concerned with? Yours or the Lord's? It's about you and how you look. Your glory, your honor, your reputation, or the Lord's glory, the Lord's honor, the Lord's reputation. Because that mindset is going to completely say what you're driven by, either your flesh or the spirit. So starting in Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read all of the chapter. Hopefully Kevin got the memo. <laughs> we, we did some switching up, so. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. And do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that through you, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness." What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Romans 6 here, and he's telling us there's an old flesh that's Adam and a new creation in Christ. And whatever one you give yourself over to, you become a slave of. In closing, yeah. <laughs> Romans 6 here is telling us the old flesh, that, that the old man that's Adam versus the new creation in Christ. And whatever you give yourselves over to, you become a slave of. He's going to go on uh, to Romans chapter 7 is trying to fight against that sin by obedience to the law, which we know can't happen. Because, because why? Because the law doesn't help us to fully overcome sin. So no matter how much we keep the law, we will never truly overcome sin. That's the Romans 7 man. And then Romans 8 man is freedom over sin in the spirit of God. Now these chapters, these are the chapters that have given me victory over my flesh and sin. These were the chapters um, in, in that when I first got saved, I began reading and memorizing. I memorized chapters of these things because I said, Lord, how do I live free? How do I live free? And the Lord directed me to Romans. And for years, I stayed in the book of Romans, memorizing and reading and memorizing and reading. These gave me victory over flesh, victory over sin. This will give you victory over your thoughts, over your anxieties, over depression. This will give you victory over fear, despair, desires, and passions if you will receive it. If you'll receive it. So what does this mean? He says, do we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Now, now the the original Greek means, uh, he said, certainly not here, but in the original, it's God forbid. It means, may it never even be mentioned among you. God forbid that you should even think that or say that. And and the problem with uh, uh, nowadays is many have put grace and law opposed to one another. And these are not in opposition, they are in apposition. A grace-filled relationship with God and an obedient commandment-keeping relationship with God are both part of a spirit-filled, overcoming, liberated lifestyle. And both are the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us the law can never justify us in the sight of God because the law lacks the power to overcome our sin. It lacks the power to overcome our fleshly desires. But through the new life in the Spirit, we can have complete victory over every sin. It says, those who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death in order to walk in newness of life. So Paul here is referring to water baptism as a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so he says, when you are baptized in water baptism, he said, you are showing, it's more than symbolic people, this is a covenant relationship, so it's showing the world that I have died with Christ, and and I went under the blood, and I came back up a new creation. That's what we are. My old church, we used to call it a water grave. Are you going into your water grave today? Who's going into their water grave today? Because it was that death, burial and resurrection. And, and Paul is telling us here, he says, this is a picture of you dying to that old man and dying to the old ways, that sinful flesh of Adam going down, being buried under the water and coming up a new man in Christ. 
Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul had an understanding of this. He said, I, this, I am a new person. This is not symbolism. It's not hyperbole. I'm a new person. It's real. I'm a new person in Christ. And there's something magical that happens in the waters of baptism. It is God's will. It's his plan. And it's a tangible display of death to ourself. It shows everybody, I am dying to myself and I'm dying to that old crystal and I'm going to be raised a new creation in Jesus Christ. And if you've been truly born again of the Spirit of God, water baptism will be more than just a religious activity. Because in the Bible says, water baptism doesn't save you, it's only through the blood of Christ. But if you don't get baptized, are you really saved? Because you're not obeying the command. You're not doing what he tells you to do. And you can get baptized and not be saved because you, you, don't, you, you don't really actually believe in Christ. You're just going through a religious ritual. That old man, that sinful flesh of Adam was crucified with Christ through baptism in order that our body of sin would be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. Because he said, a free man is no longer a slave. So a free man is no longer a slave to sin. A dead man is freed from sin. You're dead. You're freed. A dead man's freed from sin. So Romans 6, 16, uh, going down to verse 16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So we're told then that whatever nature you give yourselves over to, you're going to become a slave of. If you give yourselves over to the sinful nature, that old nature of Adam, you will become a slave to your sinful nature. That's what he's telling us. And a slave has to obey their master. That's the law of slavery. A slave has to obey its master. And if you are a slave of sin, then sin is your master. And Paul tells us that through our death and burial and resurrection, through those waters of baptism, we are freed from sin because our old nature died and we were raised a new creation in Jesus Christ. We actually take on a new nature which is why it, last week we talked about the nature of Adam and the nature of Christ is because we had that old nature of Adam. That's why we had to die to ourselves because we had to take on the new nature of Christ. We have to. It's the only way to overcome sin in your life is to take on that new nature of Jesus Christ. We are then freed from our old nature. We're freed from sin. Sin no longer is my master. Therefore, it has no longer any authority over me. I'm a new creation. I, I, am, I am now born again after the spirit of God. I have taken on my Lord's nature. So I'm freed from sin. So he says, reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Reckon yourself means take an inventory of. Take an inventory of your life. Who's your master? Who's your master? Who are you serving? Are you serving your flesh, that old nature of Adam? 
or are you walking in that newness of life as a new creation, as a freed man, free from sin, free from anxiety, free from fear, free from depression? Because those are flesh. That's the old flesh. That's the old man. You guys track it with me? He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in you. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin because sin no longer has any dominion over you. Why would you go back into slavery? Why would you go back into that? He says, become a slave to righteousness then. It's my introduction. So what does this mean to you? The first thing it means is shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid that we should even do that. And this is, this is an utmost declaration. How can we even think this way? How can we even think this way? And if you look at Paul's letters and the other letters in the New Testament churches, including the book of Revelation, these are hammered out because of sin problems going on in the church. Almost right away, false doctrine infiltrated the church. Almost right away. Jude 3 and 4 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, so Jude here is given reason for defending the truth that there were wicked men who crept into the church. They came in stealthily, unnoticed, pretending to be teachers, but their doctrines destroyed the very foundations of Christianity. The very foundations of truth. The apostle Peter describes these same persons in second Peter, but there are false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So he says, these heresies are going to deny Christ. And so it's not just, he, they don't just come in and say, I tell you to deny Christ. It's saying the heresies are denying the power and lordship and authority of Christ. they had come in by stealth, they did not tell their intentions. They professed to teach the Christian faith when in fact they denied its fundamental doctrines. They professed to be holy when in fact they were wicked. They turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. They abused the doctrines of grace as to give indulgence to corrupt and carnal fleshliness. They gave this uh, form to their teaching as antinomians Antinomians means anti-law. As antinomians have often done, that by the gospel they were released from the obligations of the law and might give indulgence to their sinful passions in order that grace might abound. Antinomians began early in the world, perhaps as early as the end of the first century, you can see that Marcion was one of the big antinomians who came in in, in, in the end of the first century teaching that you could uh, live a life of sexual immorality and idolatry and still inherit eternal life because the, the word of God didn't matter. It was only life in the spirit was freedom for you to live how you want. It's always amazing to me that all the antinomians are never uh, against going and murdering your neighbor. 
They would never say that because that's, that's kind of blatant. But it's these subtle ways of saying, this is okay. This is okay. These godly men, these ungodly men, sorry, interpreted the doctrine of justification by faith in such a manner as to free believers from all obligations to obey the law of God and taught that they might commit the worst sins without being liable to punishment if they only possessed faith. The doctrines of grace to be abused was foreseen by Paul And against such abuse, he earnestly sought to guard the Christians of his time. Jesus agrees with Paul and says to the church in Ephesus, but this to you, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then to the church in Pergamos, Jesus says, thus also you have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. These were antinomians. That's what they were. They were. They taught anti-law. They were the first hyper-grace preachers, teaching that you could live a life of sexual immorality along with other sins and still inherit eternal life. That's what they taught. And Jesus said, no. No. But he went beyond that. He said, I hate that doctrine. He said, I hate that doctrine. I'm currently reading a book right now by Dr. Brown, and um, if you ever heard of him, it's Ask Dr. Brown. Uh, he's been a, a minister for uh, since the 70s, and he he wrote this book called Hyper Grace, and he's he's um, it's concerning hyper grace false theology. And so I'm able to he's able to show me, and I'm able to read a bunch of the hyper grace um, messages, and they they truly have corrupted the word of God, and they've twisted God's word to make things say what they don't really say. And this teaching is prevalent among God's people. It's a real and dangerous threat to your salvation. Grace is beautiful. And it's meant to be a power source in our life. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's the power to overcome the flesh in this life. We don't abuse this wonderful and awesome gift of God. So first things first, we need to get radical with our flesh. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So Christ here, he's not actually saying go and cut your arm off. But he's saying, you need to take drastic measures with your flesh. If something causes you to sin, get rid of it. Whatever's causing you to sin, I don't care if it's a family member. I don't, I, I, I don't care. Whatever books you're reading, whatever TV you're watching, whatever movies you're going to, whoever you're hanging around, whatever things you're doing that's causing your flesh to stumble, get rid of it. That's what Christ is saying. This was also the heart of Paul. First Corinthians nine, it says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now he said, there's a way to run in a way to obtain this. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Oh, they're temperate. 
Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus. I don't run with uncertainty and I fight not as one who beats the air. I have a mark. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And that literally means what it means. And I've, I've read other interpretations from false grace preachers that will try to tell you it doesn't mean, it means something different. It means that if, it, that if Paul did not keep a rein on his flesh, it didn't matter how many people that he preached the word of God to and how many people got saved under his preaching, that if he sinned and continued to live a life of sin without keeping his flesh in check, he would be disqualified for the prize. That's what it means. How much sin is enough for you to let it in? How about this? How much sin does it take to corrupt you? Because if you had a severe peanut allergy, would you eat one peanut? How about someone like Janine with celiac? You know, she doesn't even allow gluten in her house. What does it do to you? It wrecks you. Cross-contamination wrecks you. How much is okay? How many cancer cells are okay? Why do you view sin as an offense to God? There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. You can't live in a life of sin and inherit eternal life. Don't be deceived. But when are we going to get serious with these things? When are we going to get radical with these things? When are we going to cut these things off like a cancer? So Paul says, do an inventory. Do an inventory. What's the wake you're leaving behind you? What's the wake you're leaving behind you? Is it a wake of the fruit of the spirit or a wake of the works of the flesh? Because I don't, I, I don't care what work you're doing. What's your fruit? And I say this so many times is there's so many people that do good works. That's not your fruit. That's a work. Anyone can do works and there are a lot that do. There's a lot of people that do good works. There's a lot. There's a lot of people in here that do good works. That's not your fruit. I can tell you, I know some of the most prideful, self-seeking, divisive people that do good works get applause of men all in the name of Christ. But their wake is rottenness, destruction, and destroyed relationships. that's, That's their fruit they're leaving behind. It's destruction. Destroyed relationships, divisiveness everywhere they go. Oh, but I'm doing good things. That's great because good works don't save you. James 1, 26, 27 says, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and... To keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now the world religion here is not used in the same way we would. Where we would say uh, Christianity is a religion. That's not what it means. It's translated as religious service to God. And if you remember James. James is the bishop of uh, the church in Jerusalem. So he's the bishop to Jewish Christians. Right? And how did Jews uh, see service to God? 
Well, it was in keeping of food ordinances. It was in the washing of pots and, and, and cups. And, and they had all these things. That was a religious service. And James says, no, 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 no. That's not religious service. This is what religious service is. This is what religious service is. So he says, religious service then is bridling your tongue. Oh, really? I thought I just had to serve things, serve people. He said, if, you're, if you call yourself a religious person and doing religious for service for God and you don't bridle your tongue, it's all in vain. So if you're going around and you're, you're cussing and you're argumentative and you're divisive, tell dirty jokes and speak evil of others, he said, that's vanity. That ain't service to God. I don't care what you're doing. You, you, and, and sandwiched between here, right, is a benevolent love for people in need because a true love for God will take care of, of others in need. And so he says widows and orphans, these are people that are in need. And, and it was at that time, widows and orphans were the ones the most need in that time. Today it could be, you know, a single mom. Whoever's in need, right? But then we got tongue, service, a holy life. Kind of like two to one. A holy life. Because people love the service part, but forget they're sandwiched between these two things. We must be holy as he is holy. And holiness is simply being set apart from the world and sin. It's set apart from something. I'm set apart for God, for God's purpose. What am I set apart from? The world. I'm set apart from sin. Set apart from worldliness. That means I don't look like the world. I don't dress like the world. I don't do what the world does. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to look like the world to reach the world. In fact, I'm supposed to not look like the world to reach the world. I'm supposed to look separated from the world to reach the world. <clears throat> if you look like the world and dress like the world and do what the world does, how are you holy? People say, well, God doesn't care how you dress. Excuse me? Pretty sure there's a parable about people coming to a wedding supper not having on wedding garments. And if God doesn't care how you look or how you dress, then just go naked. Well. <laughs> you know, that's not right. Because <laughs> we are to be pure, spotless bride unpolluted from the ways of the world. And there are way too many Christians that look just like the world. What is your fruit? A sinful life is not according to the word to the uh, a sinful life is not according to the word of the Lord. It's not holiness unto the Lord and no amount of good works will produce righteousness. No amount of, of good works produce righteousness. The very sign that we have the Holy Spirit is a stark separation from the world and sin. That, that, is, that is a huge seal that we are his, is that we don't look like the world. We don't sin like the world sins. If you don't have a clear separation from sin, you're probably not in the Lord. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. And, you know, you can go back tonight and read the works of the flesh. I'm just going to talk about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. Look at this. And those who are Christ's have crucified.
crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he says, you have a job to do because these are not going to manifest themselves without you crucifying your flesh. If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Love is agape love, which seeks the highest good of another without motive of personal gain. That's what love is. Joy, the feeling of gladness based solely on your nearness to Christ. That's why we can have joy in every circumstance. Peace, the rest of heart and mind based on your relationship with the Lord. It's a freedom from fear and anxiety. Isn't that interesting? So I know when I am not in peace, I'm operating in the flesh. I know when I have anxiety, I'm operating in the flesh. Say, that's not of God. Peace is of God. Peace is the fruit of the spirit. Long suffering is endurance, patience, slow to anger or despair. Slow to anger or despair. Gentleness is kindness. Goodness is a zeal for the truth and righteousness. It includes a hatred of evil. It can be expressed in kindness or also in correction of evil. Faith is firm and unswerving loyalty. Trust and honesty. Meekness is gentle restraint coupled with strength and courage. And temperance, of course, is self-control. It's a mastering of one's own lust, desire, and passions. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ that don't have self-control. And these are supposed to be in full measure in the saint. These are supposed to be in full measure. If you are in fear or, or des- if you're despairing in an anxiety, we're not displaying the fruit of the spirit. It's the works of the flesh. If you constantly have outbursts of anger, you're not walking in the spirit. If you don't love the truth and hate sin, you are not walking according to the spirit. And if you can't master your own desires and appetites of the flesh, you're not walking according to the spirit. But we're walking in the flesh. And Romans 8, 8 says, if we walk in the flesh, we cannot please God. So I know when I'm in the flesh, I can't please God. Because what pleases God? Faith. Faith in what? Faith in Christ. Faith in him. Faith in his word. Faith in what he tells me. Faith in his spirit. Some people can only keep it together for a while and then they go off. I have people like this in my own family and it's hard for me to be around them. It truly is. It's hard for me to be around them. Why? Because they display to me that they can't control their flesh. They can't control their flesh. Why can't you control your flesh? You're not walking in the spirit. Are you a quarrelsome person? Are you always looking to quarrel with someone? You fight, defend your position. Are you antagonistic? Do you cause strife and division? Do you have envy or jealousy or greed? Do you operate in drunkenness? This is a fruit of the flesh. It's the fruit of fleshly, sinful man. And the Bible says, if you continue to act according to that sinful nature, you will once again be enslaved to that. That's what he says. That's why he's telling you, listen, listen, listen to me. This will change your life if you will do what God's word tells us to do. He says, listen, I don't want you to be a slave of sin. Don't go back to these things. Control your flesh and walk according to the spirit. And you're going to have victory in this life. Lives are at stake. 
And God has a standard. And that's the problem with today. We're like, oh, God doesn't care. Yes, he does. God has a standard. You know, when Pastor, Pastor Matt and I, when we got married, and, and, and he would even say from his end, neither one of us were the standard in a marriage. I had baggage. He had baggage. Now, he had never been with anybody before physically in, in, or sexually, but he would tell you he gave his heart away. He, he had things. You know, so when we came, we were not the standard for marriage. God has a standard. He has a standard. And we don't want to like, God doesn't have a standard. Yes, he does. Do do we read the same Bible? God has a standard. Now, now in our marriage, I believe that we're meeting God's standard. I, I, I obey my husband and he loves me as Christ loves the church. And we honor each other. We work things out quickly. We, we are quick to forgive. We give each other grace. So now in our marriage, we're meeting God's standard for a marriage. But we didn't start out that way. There's a standard. What is going on that you refuse to control your flesh? This is what I hear all the time is I can't. And, and I hate this phrase. I really do. I, I really do. Because there are things you can't do. You cannot jump off this roof and fly. that's true you cannot do that you will fall because there's thing called gravity and it will bring you down to the ground people say i can't stop sinning i can't stop eating this i can't stop drinking that i can't overcome my past i can't take my thoughts captive and i say you are shaming and belittling the word of god You're shaming the power of the spirit in your life to overcome. Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So either you're not relying on the strength of the Lord, not bringing your burdens and passions to him, or you don't want to give them up. Which is it? Maybe you're lazy. Or maybe you just don't believe that through Christ you can overcome all things, past, present, and future. And I say to you, are there things that are difficult to overcome? Yes. I'm not, I, I'm not standing up here telling you I've, I've had a great life. I had a horrible life. I had a horrible childhood. I had a lot of things done to me. When your mom gives you uh, drugs at nine, it doesn't go very good from there. So I, I, I've had a hard time. I've had a hard path. There were difficulties that, that I had to overcome. But the battle against the flesh is one that must be waged. Amen. And, and there's a lot of things that, that I have overcome. And there's some things that I still deal with. You don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like in my head. Man, I get fixated on things. Gosh, Lord, how do I turn this around? And he says, stop thinking about that. I can't. What? But here's what I do. I don't give in and say, this is just who I am. God forbid. I fight my flesh. I fight. I fight my feelings. I fight my thoughts. I fight against my old sin in Jesus name. Because here's the thing, how can we never apply the I can't mentality to the things of God? Such as, I can't afford to not tithe. 
Or how about, I can't miss another Sunday service. How about, I can't meet with you right now because I'm in the middle of prayer. Ooh, there's an I can't for you. <clears throat> how about this? I can't eat that today because I'm fasting. How come we don't apply the I can'ts to the things of God? Why is it always uh, that old nature? Here's the end of the matter. Paul is trying to help us gain the victory in this world. Whatever you give yourself over to, either the fleshly madam Adam or the new man in Christ, you will become a slave to. And you will either be a slave to your sin or you will be a slave to righteousness. So he says, reckon yourself dead. Dead. Reckon yourself dead to sin. The old you died. That old person that you were, they're dead. Now, if you lived a life like me, I'm okay staying dead. I don't, I don't want anything to do with who I was. And if y'all knew me back then, you would not recognize me. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like the way I thought. I didn't like the things I did. I didn't like the places I went. I didn't like the people I hung out with. I don't like the old me. So I don't want anything to do with the old man. I don't. Because there's nothing good for me there. And so eh, when I'm going about my day and an old crystal thought pops up, I'm like, oh, gross. No, in Jesus' name. I hate that person. She's dead. She's dead. I don't even want to identify with anything I did before Christ. I don't want to identify with anything of who I was before Christ. I, if someone comes up and says, don't I know you? I don't think so. <laughs> Did we go to high school together? Probably not. <laughs> it's called the law of liberty because we desire to do the will of God. I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. And James said, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Because freedom is not permission to violate the commands of Christ and God's moral precepts in scripture, but it's the freedom and power to obey them and be what we were created for. Galatians 5:24. and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. No, I can do all things. I can overcome all things. I can overcome old mindsets. I can overcome my flesh. I can overcome every sin. I can overcome every shame, every guilt. I can overcome every fleshly, passionate, lustful desire in the name of Jesus. I'm not giving myself back to that. Be a slave to righteousness. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Obey the word of the Lord. Nothing else matters but to finish your race. And hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Close your eyes. Russ is going to play. You know, and I want to give you an opportunity to... connect with that word you know pastor matt preached on sunday right we want that good soil and so you know god was putting forth word tonight let us receive that word and bring forth fruit the fruit of righteousness god
that we would leave a wake of righteousness behind us. Father, let us reckon ourselves dead to sin. That old man is dead. And if you've been born again tonight, reckon yourself dead. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Say, you know what? That's not me. When the, de- when the enemy comes at you and is tempting you, say, no, I'm dead. That man's dead. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Why don't you just give yourself a new name? Call yourself something else. I don't care. Whatever you have to do to know that you're a new creation in Christ. And if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never been born again, you said, I can't overcome my sin because I don't have the Holy Spirit. Because truly you cannot overcome your sin without the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you want to make a commitment to the Lord tonight, you want to be forgiven of your sins, call out to him and say, Lord, forgive me my sins, God, and make me your child tonight and give me the Holy Spirit, God, that I can be victorious in this life over my sin. And he will do it. If you just repent, turn away from that old sin and say, Lord, make me a new creation. That's God's desire. That's God's will for you to be a new man in Jesus Christ. If you've been far away from him, just make this time to come running back to him. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. And leave the fruit of righteousness in your life. Father, we thank you for this word, God. Let it go down deep into us, God, that we would just be continually transformed and renewed by your word. Father, let us reckon ourselves dead and alive in you, God. And we can overcome all things. We can overcome anxiety and despair in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you are stronger than our flesh, God. That old man is dead. We just thank you and praise you for tonight, God. I thank you for this word. Lead us, guide us, and direct us by it, God. Bring us back here on Sunday in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.